0: I must confess that as I begin this morning, I think I might feel a, a little bit as, as Jude did. You'll recall that from Jude verse three, he mentioned how he had wanted to write concerning their common salvation, but he found it necessary to change direction and to address a different matter instead. And I will tell you that last week I had originally mentioned to pre, uh, mentioned, Like I said, if I say something a little off this morning, it's sleep deprivation. Last week, I had said that I had intended to preach a certain sermon entitled No, Not One. However, I changed the sermon in midweek. And the reason why I did that, actually, is because of three different conversations that I had over the course of the beginning of this past week. I had the privilege and the opportunity last Sunday as the congregation was departing after services to talk with one of the more senior saints in the congregation and this particular brother mentioned how he just feels so unworthy, feels so unworthy to be allowed in the presence and the service of God and feels because he knows himself so much better than anybody else how he just feels totally and completely unworthy of everything God has done for him. Within about a 24-hour period, I had an opportunity to talk to two young brothers here in the church, probably half a century or so younger than that senior saint who had talked to me Sunday night. And each one of them mentioned that At times, they felt totally unworthy. One said that he knew he'd let God down a lot. And the other one talked about how he felt inadequate and unworthy. Sandwiched in between those two conversations with those three different people, there was yet a third person, one in between their two ages, whom I had a long conversation on the phone with. And he said, at times, he just feels so unworthy, so inadequate. And he did not want to let God down. And so as I considered those things, changed the sermon for this morning. Personally, I have always just been drawn to. I've always loved and appreciated and respected and wanted to be near those Christ-exalting and self-humbling type of people, those people with that type of attitude. But I never, I guess, fully realized just how incredibly special, how totally treasured and highly prized such people were to God, such attitudes of such people were in the eyes and in the heart of God until I had the opportunity to put together this sermon. If you are one of those people, who go through these times, and maybe all the time, where you, you, you just are constantly aware of how totally unworthy and, and undeserving and inadequate you are to be in the presence and the service of Almighty God, then I hope you take the heart and soul, the truth, that you're about to hear today from the Word of God. Before we get really into the other part of the sermon, though, I want to stress this. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Please do not get big flashing sign. Please do not get the wrong idea. You're not worthy. You're not. There's not a soul in this building that is worthy in and of themselves of accountable age. There's not a soul in this building that's worthy of being in the presence and service of God. Not me, not you, not any of us. It's only by God's grace by God's sacrifice and our acceptance of His grace, mercy, and sacrifice, that we are worthy. So please do not get the wrong idea. There's not a one of us, no not one, (laughs) is worthy, period. In fact, Scripture is very clear. That when you have done every good thing that is humanly possible to do, when you have served until you can't serve anymore, when you have given until you've got nothing left to give and then you've given twice as much, when you've poured out your entire life in service to God, you're still not worthy. Scripture says that. Don't get the wrong idea about this morning's sermon. Scripture says you're still not worthy. Luke 17 and verse 10 in the English Standard Version reads as follows. It says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded. Say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Even when we've done everything, if we still have sin on us, one sin, still not worthy to stand in the presence of a holy God. We're not. All our righteousness, Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, all of our righteousness, every right thing we do, is still only filthy rags. We're not worthy to stand in the presence of God. While it is true that we are all unworthy servants, however, it is those who are ever and always mindful of that, those who are always aware of, those who never forget the fact, those who let it seep into and help determine and shine through in their every word, in their every act, in every deed, it is only those people who are indeed amongst some of the greatest, or it is those people who are indeed amongst some of the greatest, the most precious, the most special and highly treasured of all of God's people according to God himself. And we're going to see that in Scripture this morning. Because you know what? When a person is always and ever mindful of their own unworthiness, to be in the presence of God and to serve God. When they're ever mindful of that, you know what that does? What they actually do is exalt Christ to his proper level. That's what they're doing by realizing they're unworthy to be in his presence. They are letting Christ have all prominence. They are giving Christ his righteous place as head above all authority and power. They are recognizing his perfect holiness and righteousness, his prominence and his preeminence, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So, having said that, let us look in the word of God this morning and notice just how highly prized and precious and treasured such servants are who are constantly aware of their own unworthiness in the eyes of God according to scripture. Let us begin in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Matthew chapter 11. In verse 11: John the Baptist has been put to death. I'm sorry. John the Baptist is about to be put to death, and his disciples come to Jesus. And John, because of the struggles that he's going through, he begins to question a little bit what he'd known previously. He knew Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world, but as he suffered and he struggled and he's been imprisoned, he sends a couple of disciples to Jesus, to say, "Are you the one?" and Jesus deals with him very, very beautifully. But in verse 11 of Matthew 11, Jesus, telling the crowds there about John the Baptist, says this. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater, notice the word greater, than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was great according to Jesus, very own words right there. In fact, Jesus said that he was the greatest born up until that point in time. Now, what I want you to understand is it is amazing how often we're gonna see the word great or some form of the word great used in the word of God to describe those who by their very own words in that same text say that they are unworthy. Don't miss that. Let me say it again. It's amazing how many times that we're going to see the word great being part of God's definition of those very same saints who say in that same text, I'm unworthy, as we go throughout this morning's lesson. So John the Baptist, was amongst the greatest, or was the greatest, born of women up until that time, according to Jesus' words. My question this morning is, I want you to think, what made John the Baptist so great? What made him so great and so so special and precious in the eyes of God? Was it his unceasing labor and efforts in the kingdom? For the kingdom, not in it, It hadn't been established yet. Was it his unceasing labor and efforts for the kingdom? Yeah, probably that was part of it. it had to be. Was it John the Baptist's constant and undying devotion to God's word, even in the face of his own death? Probably had a lot to do with it, yeah. Sure. But as admirable as those actions are, the question that we must ask is okay, where did those actions come from? What made John so willing to? Maintain his adherence to the word of God even in the face of his own death? What, what was it that made John the Baptist so committed to the word of God? What kind of mindset did it take to carry out and complete ministries like that? I believe the answer. And the reason that he was so great in the eyes of God can be found in the fact that John himself understood how unworthy and inadequate he was in comparison to the Christ. John the Baptist understood and even confessed how unworthy, used the word to describe himself in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Luke three fifteen. Luke 3, in verse 15. In Luke 3, verses 15 and 16, it says this. Love to hear those Bibles turning. Well, it doesn't say that, but I still love to hear them turning. It's going to say this. Luke 3, 15, it says, Now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. They were talking about the Christ that was coming and how great he was. And John said, oh, no, there's one coming so much mightier than me. No, I'm not even worthy. Notice the words. I am unworthy. I am not worthy to even untie his sandal strap. Do you see it? And then Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew's account of this same occurrence, Matthew 3.11, he adds, that John said, he who is worthy, or he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. John said, I'm not worthy to untie him. I'm not worthy to carry him. John knew that in comparison to Jesus Christ, he wasn't even worthy to carry his sandals. That's what made John great. He understood who he was and how truly unworthy he was to provide even the most menial services and tasks for the Lord. And brethren, it's that attitude, it's that perspective, it's that understanding that was the primary point that the Apostle Paul remembered and commended John the Baptist for when he was telling the Jewish history to the Jewish people in Acts 13. The Apostle Paul said in verse 25, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to lose. That's what Paul remembered about John the Baptist. Now consider this. Consider it strongly. John said, I'm not worthy. Jesus said, there's none greater than John. John said, I'm not worthy. Jesus said, there's none greater. Why is that? Why the discrepancy? Because according to the word of the living God, it is those who are constantly aware of their own unworthiness in comparison to the surpassing greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God considers to be amongst his greatest and most precious of treasures. We see this same truth reflected in Luke 7. Go forward a few chapters to Luke 7. In Luke 7, we have the account of this centurion with this sick servant. Watch what happens here. Luke 7, beginning at verse 1. Watch the wording. Luke 7, verse 1 and following. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house the centurion sent friends to him saying to him now watch this lord do not trouble yourself for i am not worthy that you should enter under my roof therefore i did not even think myself worthy to come to you he brings it up twice he said i'm not even worthy to have you walk into my house Therefore, I didn't come to you because I know that I'm not worthy. And he goes on to explain here in this rest of this passage. He says, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes to another. Come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ marveled. Don't miss that. He marveled at this man. He marveled at his attitude, his perspective, his humility. He marveled at him. And Jesus turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, there's this crowd of people with Jesus. And when this, this centurion says, I'm not even worthy to have you under my roof, that's why I didn't come, by myself am not. Jesus marveled and he turned around. And look what he says to the crowd behind him. He says, I say to you, I have not found such great. Here's our word great again. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In all of Israel, and all the Israelites that he had come in contact with, Jesus said, I have never seen such a, don't miss the word, great faith. There are only two people in the entire New Testament. Two. Count them. It's easy to do. One, two. There's only two people in the entire New Testament that Jesus talks about having a great faith. James wasn't one of them. John wasn't one of them. Peter wasn't one of them. This guy was. The centurion said, I'm not worthy, twice. Jesus said, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Who was right, I wonder? No, I don't wonder. Who was right? Why the discrepancy? Why the diametrically opposed differences? Here's why. Because according to the word of the living God, it is those who are constantly aware of their own unworthiness in comparison to the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ whom God considers to be amongst some of the greatest and most precious, period. Staying in Luke, what about one of the most beloved and well-known stories in the entire New Testament? Turn with me to Luke chapter 15, would you please? Luke chapter 15, what we call the parable of the prodigal son or story of the loving father, pronounce it however you will, phrase it however you will. We know the story of the prodigal son. We know that he wanted his share and he left home and he spent all of his money on wanton or loose living. And he's out there in the pig pens and he wants to eat from the pods that the pigs are eating from, but nobody gave him anything. And we would start in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. Which reads, but when he came to himself, and, and some versions will imply when he came to his senses, which is kind of the idea, when he, when he came to realize, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice he doesn't say I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He said I'm no longer worthy to be called. I'm not even worthy for people to call me by your name. To be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, he had originally been a stay-at-home son, but he had left his father's house. Hence, he said, I'm not worthy to be even called your son. Verse 20, and he rose, and he came to his father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What a beautiful story this is, sidebar. What a beautiful story this is for those who at some point in their life have walked away from God and have come home to God, God was just waiting. What a beautiful story this is. What kind of hope this story gives us. But look again at our main point. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, verse 22, said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Bring out the greatest. Bring out the best I got. The best robe. Not just a robe, the best robe. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and and, and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. For let us eat and be merry for this son of mine. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The prodigal son said, I am not worthy. Twice. Not once. Twice. He said, I'm going to go home and tell my father this. Then he did. Twice. The prodigal son said, I'm not worthy. The father said, bring the best. Bring the best. Greatest and celebrate because my son is worth it. Son said, I'm not worth anything. Father said, You're worth the best I got to give. Think about that. In verse 32, this is kind of repeated. As the father explains to the elder son, he says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Listen, until the prodigal son came to truly understand just exactly how unworthy he was, he was dead and lost. Don't miss that. Until he came to understand exactly how unworthy he was, until he came to himself, came to his senses, realized how unworthy he was, he was dead. He was lost. It was only when he came to fully understand, accept, and express his own personal unworthiness that the father could finally celebrate his son's being found (laughs) alive and worthy of the absolute best or greatest he had to give prodigal son said, I'm not worthy, twice. The father said, you're finally worthy of the greatest I have to give. Who was right? Why the discrepancy? Why the diametrically opposed difference? Because again, according to the word of the living God, It is those who are constantly aware of their own unworthiness in comparison to the surpassing greatness of the Father in heaven whom God considers to be amongst the greatest and most precious of his personal treasures. Three times we have seen people say I'm not worthy. God says that's the greatest. But perhaps the greatest example of one of the are you sick of the word greatest yet perhaps one of the greatest examples of one of the greatest men of god to have ever lived and served him when it comes to just the sheer numbers of people he converted and congregations he started and scriptures he wrote was none other than the apostle paul himself certainly by that criteria the apostle paul would have to be one of the greatest men that ever lived One of the greatest treasures that God used to convert so many people. And how often do we preach today? 2,000 years later, and we're reading from words that the Apostle Paul wrote by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God used that man, used him in great ways to do great things, the Apostle Paul. And yet, talk about the Apostle Paul, we are remembering a man who considered himself to be totally unworthy to even be called an apostle. Not just unworthy to be an apostle, but unworthy to even be called an apostle by his very own words. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. Look what he says. For I am the least of the Apostles who am not worthy to be called an Apostle because I persecuted the Church of God. When we talk about this great man of God, the Apostle Paul, we are also talking about a man who knew what it was like to struggle against sin, to struggle to do the right thing, to let the Lord down. He knew what it was like to feel wretched and poor and miserable and ugly because he knew that he had let the Lord down and that's the last thing he wanted to do, but he did it. He struggled mightily. Turn to me in your Bibles to Romans 7. Look what he writes to the Church of Christ in first century Rome. He knew. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 15, look what it says. The Apostle Paul writes, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Is this a man that's struggling? Yes. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Now verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And Paul's not trying to say, well, you know, it's just sin and I can't do anything about it. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I struggle. struggle to be what God wants me to be. And I fight this fight, and and I'm giving it all I got. He says in verse 18, for I know that in me, notice he says in me, He's, he's showing his own unworthiness. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I don't do it. He says, I know what's right, and sometimes I just don't do it. But the evil I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And he says, I find then a law that evil is in me, the one who wants to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. He said, I love to do what God wants. I want to do what God wants. I delight to do what God wants inside. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He said, I know the right thing to do on the inside, and I want to do it with everything I got, but sometimes I just don't do it, and I do the thing I know I shouldn't have done. This is about the same point in the sermon where I typically ask how many have dealt with that, but if every one of you didn't raise your hands, then I'd feel as though some of you were not being totally honest. Paul is doing bad. Look what he says in the next verse. Doing, by when I say doing bad, I don't mean sinning. I mean, he's, he's not doing well in his own account of himself. Look what he says, verse 24. O oh, wretched man that I am! What an inadequate, awful, unworthy person I am! He's already said in 1 Corinthians fifteen 9, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. And he let God down. Do you know what? Here's the beauty. The beauty of this passage is it was precisely that personal knowledge of his own ugly unworthiness. It was precisely that understanding of how awesomely right and pure and holy that God was and who he was by comparison. It was precisely that adoration and appreciation for what God had done for him such a weak and sinful and terribly unworthy wretch. that drove him to be one of the greatest men of god to have ever lived go back with me now to that 1 corinthians 15 passage and let's read both verse 9 and the one i purposefully did not read verse 10. first corinthians chapter 15 paul says for i am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, he knew who he was. He knew how unworthy. And he knew God had taken the blood of his son and given it to him. And that he had received God's grace. And God had washed away his sins. And he said, knowing that I have that kind of that grace, knowing what I was, knowing the struggles I have and how weak I am, and knowing that God still in His grace forgave me, he says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. Listen, the person who understands how unworthy they are and they get washed in the blood of Christ, they think they're all set to just set and not do anything for the Lord? God's grace to them is in vain look at the text again we can't keep living like we were living that unworthy life if we truly believe that we were unworthy then when god gives us his grace then it should empower us and make us want to be more worthy from that point on and that's what paul says he says by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace toward me was not in vain i labored more abundantly than they all paul's I worked harder than the rest of the apostles i'm the very least but he said Because of God's grace and understanding who I am and how unworthy I am, he said, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He said, I did greater things, I did more things. Why? Because I know how unworthy I am and I know God's taken every one of my sins away. In each of these situations, it was the personally recognized and self-stated unworthiness Of each of these individuals which led the Lord to regard them as somebody truly great in his eyes. Brethren, the text doesn't lie. Whether we're talking about John the Baptist, whether we're talking about the Roman Centurion, whether we're talking about the prodigal son or the Apostle Paul, it was those who had the greatest sense of their own personal unworthiness who are shown in scripture to have been amongst some of the greatest by God himself. Don't ever forget that. We have a passage we're all familiar with, it's repeated several times, you know, He who humbles himself shall be exalted. He who exalts himself shall be humbled. That's exactly what we're talking about. Do you remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14? They went up to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee said, I thank God I'm not like other men. And he went through all all of his prideful accomplishments. And yet the other man down here on the end, although he doesn't say I'm not worthy, and although the word great isn't there, it's the same idea. This poor man wouldn't even raise his eyes to look to heaven because he felt he was unworthy and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know where I stand. And in effect said, even though the word is not in the text, I'm not even worthy to look up to heaven where you are. You know what Jesus said, don't you? He said, truly I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other. We look at this, we think, well, that that's you know that that's a wonderful thing. But I, I want you to know, it's not just a New Testament wonderful thing. I want you to know that this is all through the Bible. This is something that King Saul, I, I'm sorry, King David stated. You remember King David, the man after God's own heart. After sinning, committing adultery with Bathsheba, he knew better. But after letting the Lord down and sinning terribly by committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah murdered, look what he said in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 51, 1 through 3. Look what he said. He knew he'd let the Lord down. He knew what a miserable wretch he was. Look what he says. Psalm 51, 1 through 3. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Don't miss verse three. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always, he says, I know what I've done. I'm telling you that I know it's always in front of me and I can't get rid of it and it's there. Do Do you think David felt unworthy at that point? There's a man who said, I am not worthy, God. I know what I am. I know what I've done. My sin is always right here. I know. Suppose he felt like he'd let the Lord down. I can't imagine how far down he believed he'd let the Lord with that maneuver. But look what that leads him to conclude in verse 17, or we'll start in 16. He says, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, they're not physical things. He couldn't buy back his good standing. He said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. David had had his heart broken and he understood that that's kind of person God can work with. One who knows their own unworthiness. Turn with me to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, Isaiah echoes these same sentiments about 300 years or so later on. In Isaiah 66, verses one and two, God talking about how mighty he is. God can do anything. God's created all these things. God can make anything he wants. So what is it that you can give God that God goes, wow, thank you. Isaiah 66:1 and 2 thus says the Lord. Heavens my throne, and earth is my footstool, it's just a footstool. Where is the house that you would build me, that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those, for all those things, my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. God says I made everything. The earth is nothing more than a footstool for me. I made it. So what are you possibly going to do for me? And God tells you what you can do for him. God tells you the one he'll respect, God tells you the one he'll regard. It's right in the next verse, he says. It's in the rest of this verse. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. You know what kind of person that is? That's a person that looks at God and says, I am so unworthy. God says, that's the man right there. That's the one whom I will look to. The Bible in basic English translates this verse, for all these things my hand is made and they are mine says the Lord but to this man only will I give attention Young's living uh, Young's literal translation says and unto this one I look attentively and what God is saying is I made it all, you can't build me a house that will do anything close to what I have built I can do it all, but he says "But I'll tell you what I will look at I'll look at this man right here This is the man I will regard. This is the man I will consider. This is the one who gets my attention, one of a poor and contrite spirit, one, in other words, who realizes their own unworthiness, how special they are in the eyes of God. If you'll recall, these very words in Isaiah 66 were written by a man who understood how unworthy he was in the eyes of God. Go back later and read Isaiah 6, 1 through 9. He was in the temple, and he realized he was a man of unclean lips. He realized how unworthy he was to be in God's presence. That very man, Isaiah, is the one who wrote 66, 1 and 2. And isn't this really the same truth that we've been studying since I got here in the Sermon on the Mount? Stop and think about it. Turn to me to Matthew five for just a moment. We've covered this at length and in depth, so we don't have to cover it like that this morning. But isn't this the same thing, the the unworthy? Isn't this the same thing that Jesus began his public ministry with talking about? Look what he says again in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He starts right out, first sermon of his public ministry, first Words after a prophetic silence of several hundred years. What's the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's poor in spirit? Poor in spirit means I realize who I am in comparison to God. I am bankrupt in spirit. I know I'm a sinner and don't deserve to be in God's presence. The poor in spirit, the bankrupt of spirit, that's how he starts. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who know who they are and they mourn over it. In other words, they are unworthy, inadequate, and they understand that. Then he goes on with the rest of this. Because according to the word of God, it is those who are constantly aware of their own unworthiness in comparison to the surpassing greatness of God in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God considers to be amongst his greatest and most precious of personal treasures. I want you to turn with one more passage, turn with me to one more passage this morning. That is the book of Micah. I'll give you a few minutes to find that. We don't preach out of it a lot. But while we are turning there for our final passage of the morning, I want to recap, and I I want you to listen closely. John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy. Jesus Christ said, there's been none born greater. The Roman centurion said, I'm not worthy, twice. Jesus Christ said, I haven't found a greater faith than anybody in all of Israel. Prodigal son said, I'm unworthy, twice. God the Father said, you're finally worthy of the greatest that I have to give. The apostle Paul says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle after what I've done. God said in Acts 9 and 15, you are a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before gentiles kings and the children of israel do you this morning constantly feel and believe not in that order believe and feel that you are incredibly inadequate that you are totally unworthy and that you are completely undeserving of even the smallest gifts that God have given, has given you, let alone the greatest gifts that he's given you? Do you feel unworthy if you do? Great. That is awesome. Because that's exactly what makes you in, that makes you in his eyes, and that is great. That's exactly the type of servant that that realization will make you. It will make you a great servant. It will make you a great disciple because you understand how unworthy you are to be in the presence and service of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is precisely the kind of accomplishments that that understanding will empower you to achieve. Great ones. I want to do my Tony the Tiger imitation, but I'll spare you. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to the book of Micah, chapter 6. Look what the scripture says. Is this our attitude? Micah writes in Micah 6, 6 through 8, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High? You want to know? what you can bring in to the Sunday morning worship assembly that God wants the most. You know, we we, we make out our checks and we prepare to gather around the table and we do those things and we prepare for worship, but do you want to know what you can bring God that just is the most pleasing thing God can get from you? We'll keep reading. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Obviously, Old Testament, this is how they came to worship God. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Is that what God wants out of me? Is that what God requires of me? Is that I bring in my firstborn child like like Abraham was going to do and I sacrifice him? Is that what God wants? Is that the fruit of my body that I must give for the sin of my soul? No. Verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? You know what it means to walk humbly? It means recognizing how unworthy I am in comparison with the greatness of my Lord and Savior. That's humble, how unworthy I am. Because that is greatness in the eyes of God, and that's all God requires in general terms. Now, with each one of those, obviously, there are specifics. (coughs) But I want you to understand this morning, if you are one of those servants, how grateful you ought to be and how great in the eyes of God that you are. And if you're not one of those servants who's constantly aware of your own unworthiness, Let's study and make you even greater in the eyes of God. We need to understand that all this greatness and unworthiness begins when we understand, or when we come to understand, that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of the grace of God, of the glory of God. We've fallen short of the glory of God, and we've sinned, and we've sullied ourselves in His sight, that we're unworthy to stand in his presence because of it. And when we understand that, we acknowledge his right to send us to hell because we have sinned, and, and we can't stand in the presence of a holy God. But God has offered us a way to be able to. He's offered a way to make us worthy to cleanse every sin, every, every sin we've ever committed. What an awesome God. He says, if you will repent, Acts 2 and verse 38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me wash them away, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. Let your sins all be washed away as you call on the name of the Lord. Let me make you worthy, God says, to stand in my presence. Let me take all that sin and ugliness away. So that even when you sin from now on, that if you confess your sins, John writes in 1 John, he is faithful and just to continually cleanse you from all sin. What an awesome God. God says, Let me do that for you. If you're somebody here this morning that's never repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to realize your sinful condition. God wants to make you worthy. And if you're somebody here this morning that has been baptized, then maybe you've slipped back. Maybe you've come to a point in your life where you've let God down, and and you know that you, you need to be stronger in a certain area. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you, to help you in any way we can, so what the church exists for is evangelism edification and benevolence we want to edify you this morning we want to help you be stronger But as you leave here today do not forget that it is those that consider themselves the most unworthy that God considers to be great in his sight if you'd be greater this morning in any way and you have a need to help